Hello everyone. I'm uh, delighted to have Dex Lovegrove join us today. He's the Global Director of Sustainability at Jimmy Choo and Versace and has had a very interesting and successful career path working in corporate sustainability for over 20 years, advising companies on their sustainability and innovation strategies. Hi Dex, thank you so much for agreeing to be our guest and to speak to us. Hello uh, Neri, thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. We all know that sustainability has become a must today. That wasn't the case just a few years ago. So I'm very interested to learn more about your career background and how you initially got involved with sustainability. I've been doing sustainability, Neri, for about 20 years. And you're absolutely right. When, when I started, I think governments and also the private sector weren't really taking sustainability very seriously. So when I started, it was very difficult um, to sort of find, you know, government departments or, or, or chief executives to take this agenda seriously. And uh, yeah, it was very challenging 20 years ago. Which challenges did you face early on and how did you overcome them? Well, I think my career started with WWF. And I think what I recommend for any, anyone who's wanting to get into sustainability is that there is no better place to start than a, with one of the big international non-government organizations. And, you know, whether it's an environmental group or a development group, it just gives you a very good background. It gives you perspective and it also avoids, you know, sometimes I think business thinks it knows best and you avoid that kind of industry centric point of view I, I think when you start with a big ngo it gives you perspective it teaches you about a lot of sustainability issues it teaches you about the science it teaches you about context it teaches you about the, the pace of change that we need to to get to and I, I i guess my my sort of start at wwf was just a great introduction into the world of social and environmental sustainability and uh um, I, I think that the challenges were, I think back 20 years ago, we, we, we at WWF were just trying to meet as many companies as we could and, 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 and focus on a few key sectors. You know, we were looking at uh, food and clothing and, and the energy sector and the financial sector and uh, ICT and, and, and many other sectors. And, and we were just trying to sort of focus on the top companies in those sectors and, and just start with having a dialogue and start with identifying what we thought the sustainability priorities were in, in each particular business sector. And, and so that's where we started. And, and the challenges were back then things weren't particularly taken that seriously in, in this space, but then uh, times since then have, have changed. Absolutely. So uh, I can imagine it must have, it couldn't have been that easy. I know you were having conversations with businesses at the time with WWF, but it couldn't have been that easy at the same time. How did you overcome that? Well, I think sheer persistence and patience. And, and I think also, you know, I mean, back then we were talking about energy companies really starting to embrace um, renewable energy much more than they were back then. And, and, and when you looked at the, the energy scenarios of, of the big sort of energy companies back then, they weren't at that time envisaging that renewables were going to take off at, at the pace that they have done. And, and so that was an interesting sort of experience, you know, renewables 
became more cost effective and, and the uptake was quicker than anyone really imagined. And the pressure to phase out fossil fuels came, but it was a surprise to, to many in the energy sector, even though there was a, a sort of a big push on it. And so we, we learned that the energy sector has changed hugely. And yeah. I guess um, renewables came down in, in cost uh, dramatically. We were also talking back then about electric vehicles, and there was a big um, there was there was a lot of suspicion about electric vehicles, and again we we can see the change. Um, we were also thinking about sustainable diets in the food sector, uh, and again there was a lot of scepticism. Um, but but again it's all changed now, and I think you know costs coming down. The other thing about the media getting much more engaged in climate change and and, and renewables and electric vehicles and. Um, sustainable eating, you know, the, the media has also changed in the way they present these um, issues. And so all these factors coming together mean that you start to get, um, we, we haven't perhaps reached tipping points yet, but we have reached turning points. And so those things, you know, you can learn from and, and, and we can see what made the change. And where do you see the future for sustainability? Well, I think, um, you know, we, we started a, a, a decade ago with, with sort of incremental improvements, let's say. And at the same time, I think many of us in the environmental movement were championing, I mean, first of all, we were championing a, a net positive agenda. So can we at least in the private sector set ambitions so that we're not just focusing on less damage, we're actually focusing on having positive impacts in the long term. So resetting the aspirations so that sustainability wasn't just about zero harm. It was about having a positive impact on the climate and nature and, and on people. So resetting was one thing. Um, and then another thing was making sure that we always had our eye on breakthrough innovation. You know, I think as, as sustainability has gone on in, in, in our world and, and the sustainability community has sort of grappled with the issues, we, we understand now we can't just keep with incremental improvement and doing the same things a bit better we always have to have an eye on what is the radical change that's required, what's the breakthrough innovation that we can get into. So a net positive agenda and, and breakthrough innovation were two of things that I was always uh, championing. That's very interesting because I'm recently reading more and more about innovation and sustainability. You know, as a business owner myself, I have a leather products label that is sustainable and I'm applying for sustainability certifications with both B Corp and Positive Luxury. And one of the aspects and points there is about innovation. So I would love to hear more from you about innovation and sustainability. Yeah, I think if you're in a sector where you're in a business that is making things, as you say, Neri, the, the, one of the big important steps is to, to really embrace this, these certifications. And you know, what we all know is that part of the major environmental impact of a company making things is, is in the way we make products and in the way we use materials. That often is the lion's share of the environmental footprint. Mm -hmm. And so one very positive step forward that we can all make is we, uh, for ourselves, define what are responsible and what are not responsible materials to use. We define how we can start to make products responsibly we can be more transparent, we can start to get all the certifications and standards in place in, within the supply chain, and we can start to articulate our journey to our customers and our other stakeholders 
of what we define as responsible materials and products and how we are making progress um, over the next few years to make sure that our products and the materials we use are, are fully responsible. And um, so that is a very important step forward. I think another thing we all need to recognize is as well as doing that, we can also start to rethink the business and rethink the business model. And you know, in, in the fashion world, as we all know, times are changing and um, the sales of new items is, is, and making products responsibly is, is one thing, but there is also this huge appetite now and, and the growth in the resale market and the rental market and different models. And, and perhaps in future, what we will see is fashion much more of a, a service than, than, one, than a sector that is solely based on the sales of, of new products. And so as the fashion industry is changing all around us, we need to make things better, but we also need to start to put in place new models. Absolutely. This is spot on because I say spot on because uh, I've read the article, the, I've written an article, Sustainability 2030 and Beyond. And of course, it was inspired by the Bain and Company consultancy company where they wrote the article about different business models that will be coming up in the fashion industry. As you said, they are resale, rental, repair. And uh, just yesterday I interviewed, uh, last week, I interviewed Louise Zin. She's a haute couture designer. She doesn't sell at all. Everything is for rentals. And she just launched her fashion labels just last year. And that's very, very interesting. She's very young and her label is very new. But to me, it's very interesting how these young designers are launching businesses with this new business model, which is rental. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Have, it's very interesting. Yes, it, it's very interesting. And I think there are uh, there's an explosions of uh, uh, there's an explosion of startups who are just forging ahead in this space. And their natural sort of position is, is, is these is incredible new models. Whereas the established fashion and luxury companies, what they need to do, the smart ones will learn from these disruptors, these new startups, and, and they will start to adapt their own systems. Um, because I think if you're an established business that has been operating for many years, uh, I think the challenge and the opportunity is to think rethink the IT systems rethink the, the logistics, rethink the infrastructure, re rethink the distribution centers and so on, so that we align all of those systems in, in, in ways that fashion will be in the future um, around repair, resale and rental. And, and, and let's, let's uh, you know, I think the, the, the change into re-commerce, you know, that's, that's the exciting opportunity. What is re-commerce? Well, re-commerce just is another I get another phrase for the circular economy. I mean, what, what we've been talking about, Mary, that, the, the, yeah. the, the, you know, there will be combinations of, you know, repair can work with resale uh, quite well, can't it? You know, and, uh, and, and rental, they, all those sort of channels work separately, but also together in different combinations. And so grouping that under an exciting new e-commerce approach is, uh, is the big opportunity in future. I see. It's very interesting. And, um, I guess you answered my question, but I'm curious to know what's your view on sustainability and fashion? Do you think we can do better? Do you, are you optimistic for the future? Fashion, as we all know, has huge problems. And we've seen the pressure 
come in the media to put those problems under the spot, spotlight in, in recent years. And that is a very positive pressure because I think it's a wake up call for the industry. Um, we know that there's huge waste generated in the fashion sector. We know that these things can be corrected. And I think the, the positive thing is that we are seeing change now as a result of that healthy pressure. And, and there is a much more focus now on, on getting hold of responsible materials, uh, be it cotton or, or, you know, we can use better cotton from the Better Cotton Initiative. We can use organic cotton. We can also use um, recycled synthetic materials now. There's an exciting push on, on alternative materials. I think the Milo unleather is something that's very exciting. Um, Banana Tex is another alternative material that is, is, is very exciting. Um, so alternative materials are arriving on the scene now that, that avoid the sort of high impact traditional materials we very often use in today's fashion. Then there is the innovation area that we've been talking about, the new approaches moving slowly but surely towards fashion, perhaps in the long term, being much more of a service than, than the idea of just selling products. Um, and I think the circular economy is coming so that we can avoid the waste and redesign products that we can avoid waste in, in the future. But also, of course, on the social side, you know, one of the sustainable development goals is, is decent work for all. And I think in the supply chain, what we want to work with suppliers on is um, not just making sure that there are basic labor protections in place, but actually well-being in the workplace and decent work where workers in, in all fashion supply chains are are respected, are well, um, enjoy uh, a, a very good quality of, of life. And so those, those are the other opportunities to work on as well. What do you believe is the most pressing issue at the moment when it comes to sustainability and fashion brands? Well, that's a difficult one to answer because I think with sustainability, we're all trying to work on a hundred different social and environmental issues. But we know that this is the make or break decade now. We've got to avoid dangerous climate change. And I think the fashion sector is now starting to step up with the right kind of science-based action to, to manage the carbon footprint. So climate change and climate action that is science-based and really informed on where the big impacts are is one very big priority. And I think many are taking action on that. I think the idea of being positive by the end of the decade is also fascinating. And, and, and we know that you know, high impact materials can have negative impacts on, on, on habitats, on, on land and in, in, in rivers and at sea. So how do we make sure that the materials we are using are not having negative impacts on nature? How can we support being nature positive by the end of the decade is another big priority and an opportunity. And, and then just the third one, I think, is that idea of decent work for all. How do we make sure that fashion supply chains are treating people with respect? Absolutely. And uh... What changes do you think uh, is we can make as fashion entrepreneurs and managers in order to do better? I think as entrepreneurs and startups, I think just, just really work out what is your brand really standing for? What, what are the priorities you see within the sustainability space? And then when you've established your, what, what your brand stands for, then I guess really just try and communicate to your customers uh, in, in a very clear narrative you know, this is the priorities for, for you. Um, this is what your brand stands for. And this is the action you are taking to make sure that all the products you are supplying are, are responsible in, in, in the social and environmental 
issues that, that you see as the, the big priorities for your particular brand and start, startup. So I think it's about establishing the priorities, uh, communicating an action plan, and just being very transparent about your journey. That's very good advice. And I want to ask you another question, which has to do, uh, and I'm like trying to figure out how to frame the question. Basically, how do you appear as authentic when it comes to sustainability? Because today we are seeing many startups that say they are sustainable. And even businesses like myself, when I started my brand 20 years ago, it was based on the principles of sustainability. But at the time, I never even mentioned the word sustainability. And today, I'm communicating it. At the same time, I'm thinking to myself, what if I appear as inauthentic? Because I'm suddenly talking about sustainability and so on. So how does one avoid that? And how can you avoid basically not appearing, you know, not thinking that you are not inauthentic in some way? Yeah, it's a tough one, Neri. I, I think the answer is honesty and transparency. I think, first of all, you know, I think on, on the website, you can explain to your customers, you, you can show them that, that you at least have a very good understanding of the big sustainability challenges of our, our time, you know, be it climate change and loss and uh, the way people are treated in supply chains. You can illustrate the understanding of that. You can then also explain that you can't do everything. Um, and so you have picked out particular priorities that you think are particularly important to you and your brands. And then I think you can talk honestly about how you're moving towards your aims and your vision. And you can do it by talking about the strengths and where you are strong in the supply chain and what you're doing. But you can also talk about the weaknesses. And I think you can also give a, a very sort of an idea of the time frame. You know, are you in this make or break decade working in the next five years towards being as responsible as you can? Or is it a 10 year journey or or is it longer? Uh, and also, I think just talk about the science and how you're trying to align with the latest climate and environmental science. This is a very interesting one, especially being honest and talking about your weaknesses, because we all know it's uh, it's uh, in progress. Everything is in progress. And and that's also the beauty of it, I would say, because we are all learning. We are all doing better. Absolutely right. You know, and, and it's. It's not easy to talk about weaknesses, but I think if you want to be an authentic, honest brand with credibility, it's a lesson for all of us. We, we need to talk about our strengths because, of course, we want to do that. But we also perhaps need to be more transparent on where we are not making as much progress as we would like, where we want to speed up and what the weaknesses are. And, and, and that's not easy for anyone. But I think at the end of the day, if you want to play the, play the long game and be a brand that is going to be around for many, many years, that kind of honesty will, will serve you well in, in the long term. And I think you'll bring your customers with you. Uh, and I think it's regular progress updates. And, you know, it's about the details of, of monitoring and measuring and managing and reporting on the details. But it's also having a clear sense of vision and priorities as well. Absolutely. And where do you see the fashion industry in 2030 and beyond? Well, I hope we have an industry that has played its part in, in avoiding uh, dangerous climate change and aligning with a, a, a maximum temperature global increase of 1.5 degrees centigrade. So I hope the fashion sector has, has stepped up. And, and if you look at what the Fashion Pact is, is pushing on and also the Fashion Charter from the UN, they are pushing the industry forward on, on, on science 
climate-based climate action. So I hope we've played the part of avoiding dangerous climate change. Um, I hope we have made sure that our materials and products are much more nature friendly. Um, and I hope we've stepped up in that sense. I, I hope that um, the models are really starting to take off so that e-commerce and the idea of fashion as a service by the end of the decade is much more established within the sector. And like I said before, I, I hope that um, people in the supply chain are enjoying living wages. They, they have the, the labor protections that they deserve. They, they have the gender equality they deserve. Um, minority groups are treated with huge respect and there's big diversity and inclusion in, in, across the supply chain. And uh, I, I think the dignity and respect to, uh, has to be there also. So we need to go beyond basic labor protections and make sure that decent work is enjoyed by all by 2030 as the UN SDGs would want us to, to, to have. Well, thank you very much, Dax. This is, uh, I really enjoyed the, having this conversation with you. And at the end of my interview, I all ask what I call rapid fire questions. So <laughs> <laughs> sustainability um, means? Sustainability is being able to thrive as a business without any harm on the planet or to people and actually having positive benefits on, on the natural world and, and people as well. Innovation means? Innovation is not just doing the same things a little bit better. It's breakthrough innovation means that we, we enter into new business models that are far more aligned with a green economy and a fair economy. And what are the three words to describe you? Persistent. I think I probably in my young years was impatient. I think in my older years now, I am more patient. The third word? <laughs> well, I have, <laughs> what I'm saying is persistent impatient and now patient i see okay <laughs> what keeps you motivated um i have to say my colleagues are i find the environment i i'm in now my colleagues are so interested and passionate and supportive uh and also my, my management team as well it's just very refreshing to be in an environment where you really are empowered and, and supported and I think the interest of my colleagues keeps me going massively. What inspires you? I think there's lots of great leaders out there. I mean, I look towards, you know, business, sustainable business leaders like companies like Marks and Spencer's and Unilever and Ikea who, and, and, and uh, Tesla as well that I find inspiring. And they change the game and we, we want to change the game. So I think those kinds of leading lights have always been uh, inspirations to me. What do you look forward to each day? I look forward to taking the journey in sustainability further forward. I, I, I look forward to more engagement with more colleagues to get more support from them. Um, I just look forward to the daily progress, the things we can achieve day by day in, in taking the sustainability world further forward. And uh, who are your role models? My role models, uh, I think I, I love the fact that there's, there are these startups around the world that are disrupting business. Uh, I think the, the, the younger generations, uh, the, the, the climate youth movement, Greta Thunberg, the, the younger customers who are demanding from brands a, a brighter future, a smarter future and a, a responsible business. I think I take my inspiration from, from them. Oh, that's 
I was going to actually ask you, I, I will have to add this about the younger generation. I was going to mention earlier how the younger generation has, is really pushing not just fashion businesses, but every other business out there. They are demanding sustainability. And that's beautiful to see, actually. I, I think they are. They, they, they are. they are showing us the future because they are already eating less meat. I mean, yes. you know, we, we don't have to debate this anymore. They are eating less meat. They don't necessarily want to own cars anymore. Or if they do, they're far more interested in electric vehicles than older generations ever were. Um, they are very interested in renewable energy. They're very interested in, in action around climate change. I mean, they, they not just want the change, they, they are the change. And I think you just look at them to think about how your business needs to adapt for the future. Very true. And uh, what is your favorite book or books? I, I read a lot of fiction and detective novels. I, I will say my favorite book is probably The Power of Now. Ah. Because it's uh, a very, which you obviously have heard of it, Neri, and it's, yes. a, it's, we're all um, in this digital age where we're bombarded with messages and advertising and, and all kinds of things. We, we need to be grounded and centered and trying to live in the present. And that is more and more challenging these days. And The Power of Now is a good book I recommend to anyone. Absolutely. And even look up the, the guy on, on YouTube because he's got some great sort of uh, um, sessions on YouTube that uh, tries to tell us how to live in the present. Yes, it's Eckhart Tolle, and uh, I used to listen to Eckhart Tolle almost every day myself. E Eckhart um, is fantastic, that's yes, the guy. And he's I've got been the to, in London, when I lived in London, I've been to many of his seminars. Every time he will come to London, I will be there. <laughs> well, that is, we've got a lot in common because I, yes. I've been listening to him recently more and more, and I think he's fantastic. And I, if you haven't heard, I will recommend Michael Singer on Tethered Soul. Right. Uh, he is very, very good as well. These two books for me have been life changing, really. I Michael. Know Michael Singer, S I N G E R, on Tethered Soul, U N T E T H E R E D, on Tethered Soul. I will look him up. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> no problem. And my last question. Oh, well, two last questions. What do you want to be remembered for? Well, if I'm li living in the present, I shouldn't want to be remembered for anything, <laughs> should I? But if I <laughs> if I'm going to let my ego uh, into this, I, I, I would like to be remembered for helping to move the sustainability movement further forward. And what advice would you give to your 18 year old self? Uh, I would say be much more patient be persistent keep your energy up but also we can only do what we can do and when you've do, done all you can all you can you know think about letting go <laughs> that's very nice well thank you very much Dex. it was very 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 good interview i really enjoyed talking to you and having all these insights for our industry as well i really really appreciated it and we have in common a cartoli. <laughs> Absolutely, no, I very much enjoyed talking to you as well. And thank you so much for inviting me to speak to you. And uh, I, I wish you all the luck in the world. And uh, yes, thank you so much. Mm -hmm.